Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Father, that we now get to dig into your word as we continue our study in the Gospel of John, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for preserving it. Thank you for the double-edged sword that it is. And I just pray right now that you help each and every single one of us, Lord, to put aside all the distractions and just focus solely on you right now to receive what you would have for us, Heavenly Father. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord. Holy Spirit that dwells within each and every single believer in this sanctuary this morning, Lord. Fill us afresh that we would just be ready to receive and ready to obey and move forward with whatever you lead this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So last week, we got to delve into verses 15 to 21. We saw the storm at sea. And if we can pull up the storm map really quick, just to remind us of what we saw, where we were, and what's going on. So we the, they were at Bethesda. We saw the feeding of the 5,000 there. Then we see that other red highlight, Capernaum. They're going over there. It's about five to six miles. We know that the storm comes because the cool air over the mountains meets the hot air over the sea. Windy, windy winds, and the storm takes place. And in this, Jesus modeled to us in this passage that we looked at the necessity of prayer, the necessity of seeking intimacy with God the Father. We saw the disciples in obedience to Jesus But it also showed us that in obedience, there's a reminder, storms will brew, storms will come. We were reminded that there's the struggle that we can often fall prey to when we're in the midst of those storms. And what does that struggle look like? We start to strain, we start to agonize, we start to do, 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 rather than look to the one who has dominion, the one who has control, the one who walks over the storm, Jesus, our King. As Jesus came to them, we saw, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, the Greek there, I am. They thought that it was a ghost. They had fear. They had concern. And we looked and thought about how do you react in the midst of the storms? And how do you react when Jesus is coming to you in the storm? Are you so busy straining and doing that you're quelching the Holy Spirit that dwells within you and you're not able to listen and discern? And ultimately, the encounter last week, we saw Jesus point to his sovereignty, his deity, his ability to do the supernatural. And we need to remember to look to him amidst the various storms of our lives, amidst the various circumstances that we can go through, ups and downs, good or bad, look to Jesus alone. So we're a week into 2024, and I'm curious how we did with the charge last week. Are you praying more and communing with him more? Are you praying more to God? Are you communing more with God? Is your mountain time alone with the Savior a discipline? Are you building it as a discipline? Sent out a few different options for reading plans. Are you working through the scripture? Are you starting each day with the word of God? And I want to remind us, not just going to happen, we have to prioritize that. And moms in the house, first let's show some love for moms, because they've got a lot they do. Dads too, but being a mom. Here's the thing, it's going to look different in different seasons of motherhood, what it looks like to commune with the Lord. And don't forget that so you don't get discouraged, I'm not doing the same thing or I'm not able to do dot, dot, dot. No, stay steadfast, stay true, and go before the king. And dad, it's going to look different for us too. Sometimes it might mean we got to get up earlier so that when we finish the day, we can say to our wives, go get some time with the Lord. 
Have some time with the Savior. So make sure that we're prioritizing that. Second thing, how will you row amidst the storms ahead? Now, I pray, and some of you may have, and I know some of you had some storms already this last week, the first week in the year. Are you moving forward with faithful peace, or do you fall prey to fearful panic? We looked at that last week. And the last thing, who or what is building the vessel of who you are for God? Who or what is building your marriage, your family, this church, his word, his spirit, his way, the word being the anchor? His spirit being the wind in the sails. His way prayerfully moving forward. Walking in the spirit. Abiding in him. Let's pray and encourage one another for 2024. For us as a church body. Our default response at all times. Prayer. Pray without ceasing. Default prayer. Let's pray and encourage one another. To have deeper and deeper intimacy with our king. The devotional that Pastor Jeff did yesterday for the breakfast, we looked at the life of David. uh, And we were reminded with him and the men that were around him, none of that true things that we're called to, leading our families, all of this, none of it can take place if we're not intimacy with the Father being a priority for us. If we're not starting with him, we're not going to be able to do the rest. And teens in the room, youth in the room, that applies to you guys and gals too. How are you doing pursuing Jesus? Before you hit Snapchat, TikTok, and do whatever dance, how are you doing with looking at the Lord first? How are we doing with that? Now, for today, we're going to be moving on. We're not, I was about to say, we're going to finish chapter 6. We're not finishing chapter 6 this morning, folks. Uh, but we're going to be moving on. But a verse that is not within John, but it's Isaiah 55.2, I think is a apt verse to download ourselves with before we dig in. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. So this is where the prophet Isaiah is giving an invitation to the people and we see here, why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why are you wasting on all these things that are never going to fulfill you? Listen carefully to me. Listen takes time. It takes attention. It takes effort. It takes discerning what is good. Eat what is good. And then we see, and let your soul delight itself in the abundance. Let your soul, you have to have the right attitude for the spiritual meal you're going to partake in. And the passage we're going to be looking at today, we're going to see the true and living bread, the bread of life, the bread for eternity, Jesus. Today we're going to continue in John 6, verses 22 to 40, and the message is entitled, Satiated. Now when we think of that word, satiate, 1828 Webster's, to fill, to satisfy, appetite, desire, to feed or full, to furnish enjoyment to the extent of desire. Also we see to fill to the extent of want. We see to gratify desire to the utmost. We see to saturate. So at the start, I ask you, what satiates you? What satisfies you? We have the potluck today. You might be going in for the salad. You might be going in for the cookies or the bacon or the sandwiches or the liver cake. Or the liver cake was to see who's listening. Um, What what are you going to be thinking about that will satiate, that will satisfy? 
And when we often think of hunger, we think of the physical, we think of the material. And that's the landscape where we're going to see taking place in today's passage. Now, John chapter 6, I said we're not going to finish that today. It's 71 verses. It's one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. But in those 71 verses, we're covering a 48-hour time period. And then if we think about the whole Gospel of John, it's 21 chapters covering the life, focusing mainly on about three and a half years or so. But 71 verses for 48 hours tells us, listen to me carefully. Tells us this is something important. Now, we know the purpose of the Gospel of John if we remember John 20, verses 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So we know the purpose of this is to see what he's doing and to come to belief. Belief is trusting. Belief is surrender. These 41 verses, 71 verses, sorry, that we see in this chapter reveal much of who Jesus is and tell us much of how to have a relationship with him. In these verses that we're going to look at today, we're at the second day of this 48-hour time period. And remember, it began with Jesus miraculously feeding the multitude. They're in this desolate area where he's hoping to get some respite. With the disciples, respite doesn't come, the crowd comes, and remember there's homage within that being in the the desolate area to the manna of heaven provided when Moses is in the journey with the Israelites. We saw the storm on the sea, and we remember the storm that Moses walked the Israelites through, walking through that water. Then we're now going to see the multitude continuing to seek Jesus. And they really do, we'll see, they're committed, we're going to find Jesus, we're going to find Jesus. But as we look at their seeking, we are reminded to check our hearts and motivation for when we seek our Savior. We're going to see the reality that Jesus knows the heart of the person that's doing the seeking. We're going to be reminded that no amount of being busy, no amount of seeking Jesus can deflect from him being able to look at our hearts to see how and why we're seeking. What's the motive? We're going to see Jesus point to the people and reminding them that the true doing that we need to do, it's not about seeing how busy we can be. It's faith. Believe. Come and believe. We're going to see Jesus proclaim in this passage the first of the seven I am statements of this gospel. And we're going to see Jesus remind us how we come into relationship with him. And as we look at how we come into relationship, we're going to see a precious mystery of God's sovereignty and also man's responsibility. And we're going to see within that that we can't try to box up in a neat bow the mysteries of our God. Because some things are just that, mysteries. Now, as we go through this encounter, I encourage you, look for three questions that are going to come up from the crowd. And look at the motives that their questions are coming with. Because their motive is truly to serve self rather than serving Jesus. But with each answer that our Savior gives, guess what? He points them to look beyond the material, look beyond the physical, look 
to the eternal. So let's stand and read this passage. Starting in verse 22 of chapter 6. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore he said to them, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, the bread of life. Thank you for our King of Kings. Holy Spirit, please fill me Enable me to deliver the words that are needed for your people here. Cast aside the distractions. Equip and empower that your will would be done this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now when we look at this, we start in verse 22. On the following day, so we know we're on the second day of this journey. When the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. So we see here, They're witnesses. They they saw what took place. We also now see other folks are joining in. And what they were must have been told was that bread was eaten. The Lord had given thanks and bread appeared. Let's look at the land map. Now, if we look at this map that's coming, bam, there it is. Um, We're seeing they're at Bethesda. We know what happens. We know that he sends them to go in the boat to Capernaum. It's about a five to six mile journey across. That's the red line on the top. And we know that Jesus meets them in the midst of the storm. But if we see in our text, 
They're now going because they know, okay, they went, the boat's gone, but where's Jesus? We're looking for Jesus. Where is he? And there's people from Tiberias, which is down on the bottom left-hand side, and we see that, the largest uh, city on the west shore there. They go up about 10 miles all the way to Bethsaida. They're going up there. They're like, we're going to find Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And then we see in verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they go, they go up that 10-mile journey. They've traveled 10 miles. They're looking for Jesus. They can't find Jesus. So now they go another five to six miles to look for Jesus. That's impressive, isn't it? All that traveling to look for Jesus. How many of you would boat 10 miles and then another six miles and then the walking and the preparation? I shouldn't ask that of this church. All of you would do that. So, but the reality is this could look like a solid effort that they're doing. They are so diligent about seeking them, which means when Jesus finally sees them, he's going to say, well done, you found me. 25. And when they, now this they, something important to realize about verse 25, the they now, if we jump to verse 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. The Jews, we know from earlier chapters, is who? The religious leaders. So what's happened at this time, word has gotten out of what took place. Word got out, they're coming from Tiberias. But we also know now, religious leaders are amidst the crowd. So that they is including them as well. Found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So we see the first question. Rabbi, when did you come here? How did you do this? And Jesus doesn't take that moment to say, dudes, dudettes, listen up. There was this epic storm. I walked on the water. Peter fell in. And then I did this really cool thing. I picked him up. And then I snapped my fingers. And bam, we're there. Aren't I cool? That's not what he does. He doesn't take that moment when they show up and they say to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? He doesn't go, what took you guys so long? I knew you were coming. I've been waiting. He does know they're coming. But look at what he says to them. Verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you. Now, when we see most assuredly, when we see verily, verily, we know this is important. Listen. Most assuredly, I say to you, calling it out. You seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He comes right to the heart. He doesn't get deceived by the facts. Look at everything that we're doing. We're working so hard to find you. We're doing all the right things. Jesus knows the motive. Motives can't be hidden from our Lord. And we need to understand in our culture of do, 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 do. Look as busy as you can. Look like a busy Christian. Play Christian. Play church. Do, 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 do. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows the motive of all that doing. And we need to remember that. And it could be a check and a reminder for us before we do, let me stop and pray. Why am I about to take this step to move forward? Why am I doing what I'm about to do? Check the motive. Stop and pray. Then we see he offers advice now to them in verse 27. Do not labor for food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So he's saying, first looks, you're you're just coming because you want to be filled. You want the material. You want the physical. That's what you're going for. But in this moment now, he's saying, don't labor for the things that are going to spoil. Seek the food from the Son of Man and realize that food is sealed by God, the Father. So he's saying here things that would confuse them a bit. Because if we think about these guys, if we think about ourselves even, if we're going to be honest, which we always are, right? Everything's temporary. We live in a temporal world. That's the reality. Everything comes, it's temporary. One in every person out of every person will die. That's the reality. Everything that we have will eventually, if you take a tomato, you put it on the counter, and you leave it there for a little while, you might say, oh, I should eat that sometime. And then you come back five, six days later, oh, I forgot about that tomato. And then it's got those weird little pokey holes. When I was little, I used to jab them, and it was fun. My mother did not like that. But when we think about this, everything has a life shelf, temporary. Yet he's trying to have them who are used to thinking only temporary to think eternal. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Think of Psalm 1, perishing. But for the food which endures to everlasting life. Think of the eternal. Which the Son of Man will give you. And Jesus goes a step further. Because he could have said, which the Messiah will give you. Because what are they looking for? The Messiah. They're looking for that political leader who's going to help them be free from the Romans. But he says, son of man, a term that they wouldn't fully get. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. The seal, a mark of ownership, being preserved. And he's saying there's that one labor which you should be looking to do. That should be the focus. He gives them this deep truth. And then they now come back with a second question, verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? When we see that, I say, are you one of those people? Are you a, tell me what I got to do. What do I got to do? I heard you. Good. Okay. I want this. What do I do? What do I need to do? It's the list Christian. It's the Christian who's got their list of the things I need to do. If I do this and this and this and this and this, check, 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 check. I'm a Christian. I'm good. I'm doing it. I did my list. We just go through that. And we also see that in legalism. Because that's exactly where that stems from. And we say, well, does legalism still exist today? Oh, it does. It's out there, friends. Oh, it's really there. And it's the one saying, okay, ladies, whoever has jeans on, ladies, you need to go out there. We have skirts for you. Get your long skirt on and put your little bonnet on. And we're going to give all of these lists and things that you need to do. We make it about doing, doing, doing. And in our doing, we then also become judgmental. What translation are you reading? Oh my goodness, how could you do that? And we're judging, we're judging, we're judging, and we're categorizing. And the goal is to please God by works. That's the goal. If I do enough of these things... I'm pleasing and honoring God. If I can check all of the checklists, it's good. That's their question there. 
What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And remember, they would be used to all of these laws and commandments that they're expected to follow. And in that, Jesus then says, in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. They want to work. They want something that they can do. They want something that they can hold on to. And Jesus says, this is the thing you do. Believe in him whom he sent. Believe. Believe. That's trusting. That's surrendering. Now, that doesn't then mean, just to be clear, okay, so if I just believe in Jesus, I can go do whatever I want to do. No, 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 you need to obey. Obedience is still very, very important. But think about relationships that we have, parent relationships, family relationships. Obedience, the most beautiful obedience, comes out of trust and love driving it. And when you come to that place, that you come and believe in Jesus as Messiah of your life, Lord of your life. You truly then, brothers and sisters, get to that place where that trust, that love, drives worship, which is obedience. But again, all he says there, believe in him whom he sent. They want their doing, believe in him whom they sent. So then how do they respond? Their third question now. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? They just keep going. Okay, well, we hear that, but we won't do that till you prove it. Mind you, they're following him because they just saw this incredible miracle of all of the food being done. Yet they're saying, do something to prove who you are. You need to prove who you are. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So first they say, you've got to do this sign. And then second, they point to telling him what it needs to be. They go that far. They don't just say, do a sign. What are you going to do? Let's wait patiently. Do a sign. What are you going to do? And our fathers did this. You ever relate to that sometimes when you go before our heavenly father? Lord, I really need your help with dot, dot, dot. And this is how it needs to be helped and do this. And we kind of forget that he's sovereign and in control. We're kind of like, let me steer the ship for you. No, no, no. They seek to tell Jesus how to do things, and they actually get clever because they say he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We see that two places in the Psalms. Psalm 78, 24, if you go there, you'll see that Psalm is pointing to the unbelief and rebellion of Israel, and we see that that quote comes in. And it's an important thing for us, too. We can't just take a quote from Scripture to push what we want done. The Bible says da-da-da-da-da. Or scripture says da-da-da-da, so it's going to happen. It's your motive. You're trying to will it. I want this. I want, insert whatever random Bible verse that can sort of be stretched to go with it. I'm going to plunk it there. And bam, that's what I want. And I'm justifying it because scripture says this. It doesn't matter that I'm taking it out of context. Scripture says this. And we can be guilty of that. I always urge us, God God ministers to us. God communicates with us ever so clearly through his word. And before you say, God told me, Holy Spirit told me this, have it rooted to word and context always. And then move forward. Because we have to check our motives because sometimes it's more about me, 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 me than him. 
It's more about us than him. Now, something to note culturally. At the time, the rabbis would be teaching and there would be the expectation when the Messiah would come, manna from heaven would fall down. That was what there was the expectation. Deuteronomy 18, 15, we read there, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So we know he's going to be Jewish and he's going to come. And looking at that, they're expecting, looking to Exodus, seeing what happens in the wilderness. It's going to be the continual thing. So do this sign. Come on, make something happen, Jesus. And then he sets them straight. Verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now one, as we go through this next portion, be mindful of how many times we see references to coming down from heaven and think of what they would be looking for culturally. They're looking for the bread to come down from heaven. It's taken place, just not as they would have expected it. Now, in this account, he's now giving the real truth of what will take care of them, of what will help them. And he's saying there's, there's this real bread that can come. And the bread is going to come down from heaven and it's going to give life to the world. This should make us think back to something we've studied. And if this was youth group, this is when I'd say, who can tell me what this reminds us of. And then maybe somebody might be like, the Samaritan woman? Yeah. If we think about the encounter with the Samaritan woman, Jesus explained about the living water, where she would never thirst again. And what does she say? Give me that so that I, can, I don't have to come back. I don't have to do these things. Stuck on the physical need. Missing the spiritual depth. And we're going to see the same response from this crowd. Look at verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They're still on the physical. They're still on the material. They're saying, great, give it to us. Give us this so that we have this bread. We're good to go. We have this action. Fill our physical need. Saints, do you see in the midst of their seeking Jesus, they're seeking to be with Jesus, they're busy and so lost in the seeking of the material and the physical that they miss the mark. Perhaps if they remembered the scripture, be still and know that I am God, they could have slowed self down a little bit to actually look at who was truly standing before them. How are you in the midst of your own walk with God right now? Truly, how are you? Are you thinking in your walk and making it as busy as you can? Or are you slowing down to go and rest and be in his presence? Are you satiated in your doing good things as a believer or are you satiated in resting in the presence and believing in the doer creator, Alpha Omega, beginning and end, Jesus? Jesus then hits the big statement that we've been waiting for, we've been building up to, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Again, they're fixated on the physical and the material. They may have been hungry from the journey, but Jesus again points them to the eternal need. Jesus gives the I am. 
We think of all the Moses parallels that we've seen. We think of Exodus 3 where God says I am and states his self-existent state. Thus in this moment, Jesus is revealing who he is, God, and why he came veiled in the flesh. I am the bread of life. Everything that I just talked about, guys, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. You have this immediate need, but Jesus is saying, I have an eternal need that I know you need filled. But they're not able to recognize that. They're not able to see that. And then he goes on to give them their heart condition. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Unbelief. Jesus lays it all out. They've seen him, yet they can't believe. And that applies to the unbeliever today. We know that. We see that. But I also want to point something out to this precious church, to my brothers and sisters. It can apply to us as believers. We can get in this place where we're lost in the doing, we're lost in the seeking, and we allow unbelief in his word or in who he is to creep in. We allow doubt to creep in. We take our eyes off of him. Our intimacy with Jesus is lost. Our focus on the eternal gets so focused on the temporal. I need, I gotta, I need, I gotta. Are you waiting on the Lord? And believing in my waiting, I'm trusting. God's word's so clear on many issues, many things. But in our society today, too often the journey of seeking Jesus is no longer about belief in him. It's no longer about intimacy with him. The journey of seeking Jesus is to find loopholes or ways to get what we want or do what we want. Because we're so focused on the physical, we're focused on the material There's an emotional need that I need to win. There's an emotional need for love. There's an emotional need for success, an emotional need for approval, an emotional need for insert whatever is your choice. And suddenly we're no longer satiated with our belief in Jesus and our belief in the word. And we're only satiated in the seeking and in the doing and in getting what we want how we want it. What did they want? Political leader, king. Remember, this is the same crowd that's coming that had the people who were trying to seize him and make him to be king. Because they knew if he just did this, he can take down Rome and we'll have bread to eat all the time. And bread was important to their culture. This was a very important culture staple to their diet. They were not gluten-free like we all are. It was a staple for their diet. So they would want that manna. They would want that provision. But it was not enough to believe and take him for who he was. Check your heart for where unbelief or doubt has crept in. Check your heart for where eternity isn't enough. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Those who come out Wednesday nights. We're going to finish Psalm 23 this week. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you see that tie? The bread of life, let the bread of life be your shepherd that you shall not want. Because when he is, enough for you is knowing I believe in who he is, I am under his care, I have true contentedness. I shall not want. 
Then we see Jesus now go further and he's going to expound on the gift of salvation, which is quite timely as we're about to do communion. And let's remind ourselves of this. Verse 37. And all that the Father gives me will come to me, God's sovereignty. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Man's responsibility. And that one verse, I want to make sure we see that you have both. All that the Father gives me, the Father's giving, that is God's sovereign choice. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Man's responsibility to come to him. For I have come down from heaven, there's that phrase again, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Him who sent me. He who sent me. He's pointing them continually to the eternal and pointing them continually to God. He's the one who's in control. This is his will. This is the will, verse 39, of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. All given, God's sovereignty, none will be lost. All given, all saved, none will be lost, but should raise it up at the last day. Then he goes on in verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him, man's responsibility, see the Son, believe in him, may have everlasting life. Salvation is not a temporary life. It would then say that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have temporary life. Everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Secure forever. Bodily resurrection is what we see. Whenever we see that raising up, it's the bodily resurrection, the spirit and soul with him. So we just saw this, uh, this memorial service for our beloved Barry. He is singing to him. That's why we sang endless praise. I can't wait for eternity. Join them song. They're already singing. Holy, holy, holy are you Lord. That's what we are seeing right there. That's the promise. That's what it's all about. Now, when we look at these verses, I want to remind us, that's the mystery of salvation. And we can't get lost in man-made boxes named after men who I don't even know if they really wanted all these things named after them that try to box in how it all works. Because we could sit here and then have this big debate, well, what does that actually mean? I mean, when I see that, when you talk about God's sovereignty, what I see is, ho, ho, ho. Stop. <laughs> Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is an encouragement to obey God and gives principles on how God speaks to us. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Secret things belong to the Lord. Guess what? God's God. He's in control. He's going to have secrets. We're not going to know what they mean or what they are. Accept it. That is it. He's God. But those things which are revealed belong to us. We got the whole word of God. I think he gave us a lot. Could you agree? They belong to us. And guess what? They belong to our children. They're transgenerational. And guess what? Forever. They're eternal. That what? We may do all the words of this law. That we live it. We come. We believe. We trust. Holy Spirit dwells within us. We live and abide. Holy Spirit strengthens, empowers, encourages us to move forward and do what God calls us to do. That's the reality of it. And it's a mystery. And it's a beautiful, precious mystery. And we cannot forget, too, it is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Do you remind yourselves of this? Make these verses a scripture memory. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not about the doing. But James says, be doers of the word. 100% correct. James says, be doers of the word. Where we're believing, we're trusting, and we're resting in God's sovereignty. And we're doing, living the word. But we're not doing for self. We're doing for his glory. When we do the word, it's all about him. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you remind yourself of that? When was the last time you sat in prayer and read that and said, Lord, I am your workmanship. Lord, I have been created in you for good works. Lord, let your spirit fill me to do these good works for your glory, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't have to pray about that. God doesn't care if I do X, Y, or Z. I can just do whatever. Hold the phone. God has prepared a journey for your life. You better be on your knees in prayer. Pray without ceasing. We have to pray about things. And if your heart's hardened to that, repent before the Lord and get right with him and move forward. Because boy, is it beautiful to walk in the spirit, to walk in obedience with Jesus and to have him discerning and guiding every step with his word. Boy, is that a gift. It is a gift for those who believe. Believers in Jesus. Believing, it's faith. Faith is the foundation for Christ to work in us, through us, with us, by us. I love Spurgeon's words on faith in Christ around this passage. Faith in Christ is simply and truly described as coming to him. It is not an acrobatic feat. It is simply a coming to Christ. It is not an exercise of profound mental faculties. It is coming to Christ. A child comes to his mother. A blind man comes to his home. Even an animal comes to his master. Coming is a very simple action indeed. It seems to have only two things about it. One is to come away from something, and the other is to come to something. We're all seeking, but we need to check our motives. In this, we see their seeking for the king. We see Our king point to the eternal. We see Jesus reveal who he is, the bread of life. And today, Communion Sunday, an apt text for us to be in, we remember the bread of life. Everything that we seek to satiate us outside of Christ, guess what? It's going to leave you hungry again. If you have that liver cake out there for the potluck, and you eat the whole thing, you're going to, God bless you for doing that, you're going to be hungry again later. And we too can misuse scriptures the way they did because we so badly want this that we're going to justify it and make it the way that I want to make it. No. Or you can rightly divide God's word and just not believe it. You can rightly read about the Holy Spirit. You can rightly read about the Holy Spirit communing with his children and then say, God can't do that. God doesn't do that. I'm not God, so I'm never going to say that sentence. God can do whatever he wants. He is sovereign. But if you go down either of those rabbit holes, you're going to be empty again. Remember the definition we saw of satiate. To fill, to satisfy our appetite or desire to feed to the full or furnish enjoyment to the extent of his desire, to fill to the extent of want, to gratify desire to the utmost, to saturate. Charge for this week. One, 
Check your saturated habits. Check your saturated habits. What currently satisfies you? What fills your appetite? What gratifies your desires to the utmost? What are you saturated with? And take all that and go into a time of prayer that you can come away and come to ponder belief in Jesus. What might happen if the routine rise, go to Jesus? Two, check your busybody and seeking barometers. What's your motive for all the busybody things you're doing? If Jesus appeared in your home later, face to face, and you say to him kind of like they do, how did you get here? When did you get here? What truth bomb would he hit you with of your heart? And you say, you're asking that because you want dot, dot, dot. And three, who do you need to share the bread of life with? Who do you need to share the bread of life with? We can't just sit here, get all this, and then just focus on self. There are people who don't know Jesus. Who do you need to share with? So today, before we come to the table, remember the sacrifice of our king on the cross. And can you come away from the things that keep you from pure belief and trust in God? And can you cast those things aside to just focus surely on him? The table that we're about to do communion, it's for those who have come and believe. Those who know Jesus is Messiah. And we remember his body broken for us. We remember his blood poured out for us. He said to do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you don't know Jesus, let's have a conversation before you just go do that. And families with your kids, if they're going to come up, have that conversation. Make sure they know what they're doing, what they're remembering. So it's not just a rote thing we're just, we're just doing because have a little matzah. No. This is in remembrance of our Savior, our King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you for the grace and mercy that you bestow upon us, Lord God. Heavenly Father, search our hearts, search the motives of our hearts, Lord God, that our seeking would always remain so steadfast and pure, Lord. Have each and every single person here remember that pure heart of salvation, Lord. When we came to that place of knowing who you are and saying, I surrender. I give my life to you. Help us to keep that heart of seeking and being contented in you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of coming to the table in remembrance of the best gift we'll ever receive, Lord. And I just ask you, Lord, to help each and every single person search their hearts, not feel like they just have to rush up here, Lord, but that they take the time to go before you, Lord. If we need to repent of anything, that we repent. If we need to get up and talk to a brother or sister and say, I'm sorry, do it. That we come with that pure heart of salvation, Lord, and remember all you've done. Help us to empty ourselves, Lord, to remember you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.